guys, happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Now, you all may think it's a slow news week, but Uncle Chael is here to tell you that is not the case. Because coming up on today's show, I'm going to discuss our old friend Henry Cejudo. Because he's back and he's got a big fight coming up in a few weeks. Plus, we got a heavyweight main event on Saturday with massive stakes attached to it. And I've got an exclusive scoop regarding Francis Ngannou in an interview that's coming up later today's show. Loaded show today, guys. Let's get into it. Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis have agreed to bet their fight purses. Now, there's multiple problems with that. I mean, aside from the sheer stupidity and recklessness, there's also a problem with the perception, right? The, the perception is, I am brave, I am macho, and I am confident. Now, hold that thought. Conor McGregor was a voice of reason in this. How many times do you, do you say those lines in your entire life? Conor McGregor is the voice of reason here. Comes in and tells these guys, don't do that. And I really like what Conor said. Conor said to him, you know, luck plays a huge part in this. And then he put himself over, which was great. He said, I make way more than anybody else in this business. So it wouldn't be feasible for me if I was to do this and match you, I'd have to bet a portion of my purse, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep my hard-earned money for my family and my loved ones. It was really great by Connor. It was a great message in that don't do that. Hard stop. Now, I want to elaborate on it because you're not going to sell a single ticket doing that. Winner take all doesn't work. Hey, let me let me tell you guys something. If you're wondering if something's good for promotion, if you've got a good angle, look back and see if they ever did your idea, the thing that you've come across. See if they ever did it in a WrestleMania. That's the truth, right there. Hate on it all you want. I I, I got I got to hear from you. If you have an idea for marketing and a push in the fight game, and they never did it in a WrestleMania, your idea sucks. Now, people want to be confident, and you will have a jerk that writes a book that he sells on Amazon to tell you about confidence, and tell you how it's 80% mental, and tell you if you believe you can achieve, and they'll repackage this garbage every 10 years. Sometimes they'll call it confidence. One time they called it my lifetime, one time they called it the secret but it was the laws of attraction repackaged every decade for a new generation and shoved up your ass, even though they don't work. Now, moreover, okay, is the misconception that confidence is a good thing. Like, I've seen these things happen with fighters. I've never seen a fighter back down from this, as a matter of fact. I've seen this a number of times in my lifetime. I have never seen... So fighter A says, I'm so confident, I'll bet you my purse. Will you do it? I've never seen fighter B say, no, stupid. I won't do it. I never... I see them do it every single time. Now, if you're drawing and you're selling and you got a stick, I'll stay out of your way. Where I call you a dumb-dumb is that doesn't impress anybody. The real man, the real man, is the one that doesn't think he's going to win. The real stud in the equation 
is the one that shows up to the press conference, shows up to the scale, and shows up on fight night and doesn't think he's going to win. Only a punk and a bully takes a fight that he knows he's going to win. And that's where the miss comes. That's why the public has never got behind this. And not to mention, I mean, for Tank and, and this Ryan, how uncreative. I mean, true, I don't know which one of these nerds suggested it to the other nerd. I don't know who brought it forward, but I don't have to go back any further than February at the Jake Paul Tommy Fury press conference to tell you the last time that I saw this. And when Jake and Tommy did it, it wasn't the first time I saw it. It happens over and over. It's boring. It's not an exciting thing. And not for nothing, I don't know the last time you guys done it. I mean, there's even a back and forth now with old man Fury talking publicly and saying Jake didn't honor it. I know, Jake, that would disappoint. I hope that that isn't true. A deal's a deal. I would hope that that isn't true, but I, I'm just sharing for you. First off, they're insincere. And secondly, you got to understand from a business standpoint, these, these guys in a traditional sense don't pay their trainers. They don't say, hey, you're 100 bucks an hour. Hey, 500 bucks an hour. Hey, two grand a week. They, they don't do that in a traditional sense. It would be 10% of your purse. And sometimes you're all scraping by together. That's that's eight and nine and ten dollars. I mean, it's like getting tipped out at a restaurant at the end of the night. It's gonna be just enough for you to get a, a, a coffee on your way home, right? But other times you work your way up. You that, that could be a meaningful amount of money. And the honest guys in our business will continue to do it when they get to the top. The scumbags in our business will cap it. Like you were not gonna have John Jones who paid ten percent back when he was ten thousand dollars. He's not gonna give you ten percent now. He's going to change it, so he's going to cap you. Very common, but it's also what the scumbags do. If you paid a guy 10% back when you were making no money, you got to pay him 10% back up when you're making $100 million. You've got to, or you're a scumbag. Now, I'm just sharing the numbers with you because if a guy like Ryan Garcia or a guy like Tank Davis, who couldn't spell savings account, let alone actually have one, when they've got 10% deals, not only with managers, but with trainers... And that 10% is going to go through all of your trainers, and you're probably going to have three. Those those very three will be in your corner on fight night. So that 10% has to go over all three. So you're looking at, you know, like 3.3% with a third left over. I think that you guys understand that mathematics. But when you go out there and you don't have it, what do you come and tell the guys? Well, the answer is you you cough up the money. But I'm sharing with you, those guys don't have it. They didn't save. They got some shiny car. They got it on their wrist. Those with Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia don't have any money. So now you're just screwing your managers, right? So now you're put in a really tough position. Either you didn't honor what you said you were going to do. Not good, particularly in this business. If the word gets out of this business that you can't be taken at your word, you are now done in this business, just so you understand. So either they do that or they stiff their own team in corner. And you're doing the whole thing because you didn't have the balls and or the intelligence at the time that the uncreative, redundant dum-dum who stole from somebody else's press conference presented you with the idea. 
I have never in my life, and I mean that, I fought 51 men from 97 to 2018. I don't know of anybody that had a longer career. Maybe they did. I don't know of that person. Three different weight classes and five fights before they even had weigh-ins. I have never walked out there once or even agreed to take a fight with somebody that I knew I could beat. Never did that phone ring and I was like, yeah, I'll fight him and I'm giving high fives around the house. Never. I swallowed real deep every single time, went and found my balls and my running shoes and got to work because I had no idea how this one was going to go and I knew I had to prepare. These guys that are selling confidence or they're pretending they have confidence or some of these guys that legitimately have it are bullies. Why would you fight someone that you know you can beat? And if you know that you can beat him and you know that he's getting out to to do the job, why would you take money from him? What's the matter with you? I'm going to go whip a guy's ass. I know I can whip his ass. I'm overmatched. I got a buddy that's a matchmaker, or maybe even I'm the promoter, right? In the dirty, filthy world of boxing, I'm going to promote and I'm going to bring in my opponent. Oh, by the way, and then I'm not going to pay you? I'll make sure you don't get any money? And what about the guy? And I really don't know who it was. I, I really don't. Who suggested this? One of those idiots suggested this, right? Either Tank or Ryan said to the other one, let's do... A purse bet. What? How uncreative. That, that literally just happened the last time there was a boxing match anybody wanted to watch. It happened the time before that as well. It's not a clever idea. It's never been a winner take all in anything that's meaningful. And if you really would do that to show how confident you are that you can fight a guy... You're a bully. If Henry Cejudo beats Sterling, what is he going to do? I mean, there's a fine line of genius and insanity. And it's very tough. To follow the golden rule, which is to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, what would you do? And then assume that they would do the same thing. It's very hard when you have somebody of the level of success of Henry. You're not in their shoes. You're never going to be in their shoes. You're not going to be the youngest Olympic champion of all time. You're not going to be the guy that stops the greatest of all time, changes divisions, does it again. You're not going to be the main event on the debut of ESPN. Like, there's just things that aren't going to happen that makes it very hard to try to guess. Right? Let's just say Henry beats Aljo. That is a massive win. That will really be a a crowning moment to come back with a layoff and be the one to stop the younger champion. Historically, it's simply not the way it's done. History says Cejudo gets beat. But let's say he doesn't. Henry has been extremely vocal. He never wanted Aljo. He never wanted Jan. He never wanted the 135-pound title. I mean, it's important that you know, when Henry was talking about his comeback and was planning and mounting the comeback, Peter Jan was the champion. Just so you understand. This is what Henry thought he was coming into, and he said, I'll pass. Not interested. 
I will come back if you can give me Volkanovsky. It was about champ, champ, champ status. Three weight classes, never been done. This is what he conquered. But but it's very relevant you understand that that's his motivation because as much as for some of us, that just wouldn't matter. Hey, look, it pays the same. It, it's a main event. It's a feature. It's a world championship. It's legacy. It's, I mean, you, you could go on and on and on. When guys have already done that, sometimes it's hard to imagine, right? John Jones gave a world championship back. I, I can't imagine that. Worked my whole life to be a world champion. I could not imagine having level of success that John, where I would give it back. You can have it. I'm no longer the champion of the world. Here you go. I, I couldn't imagine. I would have fought for that thing with all my worth, like a dog on a bone. And I think that you guys could relate to that. So that's where I'm just making the point that sometimes it's hard when you have these guys that are possibly geniuses and possibly insane, maybe a little mixture of both. The way that the sport is going right now, Henry would draw in to Sugar Sean. I don't know if anything has been made more clear to us as far as contendership goes in the entire sport, any organization in any weight class, either division. I don't know if anything has been made more clear for us than the fact that Sugar Sean is next. But what happens if that's not what Henry wants to do? I would have never advised Henry at 246 to drop the mic and walk away in a co-main spot. I would have never advised or predicted that Henry who was in a what we call participation, meaning he was the champion, he's bringing the championship. His paycheck and his involvement is completely different than if he's a contender. Even if he's fighting for the championship, it's different if he didn't bring the championship. I hope that I'm saying that clear enough that you guys can understand. So Henry walked away. Henry's getting ready to do the exact same thing that he could have done two years ago when he was fresh, sharp, in shape, on weight, and making millions of dollars. He's now going to do the same thing, but the situation is very different. I don't say that to tease Henry at all. I say that so that you guys understand. Attempting to predict what's going to motivate or drive somebody that has this extremely rare level of success is a very hard thing to do. I got to take Henry at his word. Henry was interested in fighting Conor McGregor and was willing to do it at 155 pounds. Henry returned to the sport thinking he was going to fight Volkanovski. Now, I know behind the scenes, Henry got very close to that goal. Henry was told that he could have a fight with Max Holloway. And if he could prove it and he could defeat Max, he could then have the Volkanovski opportunity. So people were listening. But simultaneous to that, he could also have a title match if he did it at his weight class. Of 135 pounds. So it's a very interesting spot. I know they don't like guys jumping around. I know they don't like them leaving divisions, but you have a hard time telling Henry that he doesn't get to do that considering he's already done it before. Considering him and TJ Dillashaw was for champ champ status. Even, even if it was for TJ, you still understand the point. He's done a little bit of moving around. He's made it very clear that he wants to fight Volkanovski. Volkanovski has other ideas, but in all fairness, Volkanovski only has those ideas because it's the best possible option for him. Volkanovski's got two title fights waiting for him. Yarir is champion, even if it's interim champion. Islam is champion, even if it's a lightweight champion. He's got two title fights waiting for him. He's told if he, if he does one, he goes to the other. But this would be another champion. This would be an opportunity that he didn't have. This would be a wrinkle that wasn't there. 
And it's not going to get presented in another way. And by example, if Aljo beats Henry, Aljo's going to go fight Sugar Sean. We understand that. But Al Aljo's not going to faint or pretend or try to go to 145 pounds. He's 135 pounders, a perfect 135 pounder. This is where it. These are the guys that he studied. He's going to go clean out the division. I, I, I'm just sharing for you. Making predictions of what's going to happen is a little bit easier for guys when you're not dealing with Cejudo. So what do you think? If he has success, is he going to play ball? Is it going to be another drop the mic moment? Is it going to be a, another I'm changing weight classes? Let's see what Alexander the Great has to say. Or is he going to come out and defend the crowd against the number one contender who should or shall It's not an easy prediction to make, but I would like to hear from him. Okay, guys, I want to take a quick break from what we normally do here because I got an interview with the head of one championship that I want you all to hear. Let's get to it. All right, now I'm joined by the boss over at One Championship, which is making its American debut on Cinco de Mayo, May 5th. Chachri, how's it going, pal? Good. How you doing, Chael? Thanks for having me, man. Well, I'm really happy to talk to you. I come on here every day, Chachri, and I make guesses. I make predictions. I think of myself as an historian and maybe even an expert within the sport. But the truth is, there's only three decision makers in this whole business, and you're one of them. Help me out with something. I fear that Francis Ngannou might have made a bad decision. I know that there's a lot of rumors where he's going to get signed. Do you see an opportunity for Francis in the open market? Yeah, I think, you know, Francis obviously has the credentials. He has goods and he has he brings the excitement factor uh, with his big uh, monster KO power. Um, I think uh, there's going to be big news on him uh, shortly. And I think there's going to be... Uh, you know, whether it's boxing or MMA, he, the, the world is his oyster. That was very interesting how you put that. Uh, now, let me ask you this. I know that uh, one championship, you will do grappling, you will do MMA. I see lots of Muay Thai. Would you do boxing? Would you put a boxing fight on at one of your events within the cage? Has that been considered? Yeah, definitely. We, I mean, we, we have had a WBC world title fight in boxing before in one. Uh, we had it in 2017. Uh, with the then WBC uh, world champion uh, Srisake from Thailand. Um, and we actually held it here in Bangkok, Thailand. All right, looking uh, forward, May 5th, right around the corner, Demetrius, which many North American fans believe to be the greatest of all time. I happen to be in that category, but he's in a true trilogy with Marias, meaning they're going to fight three and they split the first two. When you're promoting in America, is it a different feel? Is it a different strategy than when you're purely in Asia? You know, uh, I, I think we'll find out when, when, when we're on ground in the States. I mean, the formula that we've always used at, at one here, and this, this trilogy, by the way, will sell itself. How many times do you have a trilogy where both um, fighters landed a flying knee knockout of each other? Um, you know, and I guess the third one has got to be a double knee knockout or something. I mean, that's the only way you're going to top it. But this trilogy is very, very intriguing because uh, these are two of the very best on the planet. Um, as, a, as you said, DJ is a go, but Adriano knocked him out cold, and DJ's first ever knockout, I mean, getting knocked out ever, um, and then DJ comes back and, and, and does the same thing to Adriano. Um, but what makes this very also interesting, and, and this is how we sell it in, in Asia, is if you look at the life stories, the backstories of Adriano and DJ, these are the two nicest gentlemen you would ever meet 
Um, this is somebody you would take home to your parents and your grandparents, and they would love uh, love them. Adriano was an orphan. He was abandoned on the streets of Brazil, literally abandoned on the streets. Somebody picked him up, put him in an orphanage, and three years later, he was adopted by a single mother. What a crazy story. And, and you know, Adriano is of African-Brazilian descent, whereas his mother is Caucasian. And it's just an incredible love story. And Adriano's been able to literally become a world champion. On the flip side, you have DJ, same thing, unbelievable life story, where single mother, deaf mother, um, and he's he had a, he had a, obviously a, a disabled uh, um, sibling. And then DJ was a factory worker, you know, earning $8, uh, you know, uh, an hour. Unbelievable life story to become a world champion. And then, and now DJ has won the two most prestigious titles on both sides of the planet, you know, on the West and on the East. No other athletes have done that. So this trilogy is unbelievable. And there's one last layer, Chael. It might be DJ's very last fight. DJ is already talking about retirement, and this is a big shocker, even a shocker to me. Okay. So apparently he was on Ariel uh, uh, yesterday or, or the yep. day before and saying that uh, this could be his last fight. Okay, so I was going to ask you about that because that caught me off guard. Now, in all fairness, it, it's really hard. Like, I'll always try to put my follow the golden rule, Chatri. I put myself in somebody else's shoes, and I think of how I would react. But it's very difficult. I never had the level of success of DJ. It's very hard to put myself in the shoes of a champion who's achieved everything, who's been the GOAT, who's been the top, who set the record in North America and now over in one championship. So when he says that, I got to tell you, Demetrius does not have a history of saying things for attention. He doesn't have a history of setting something like that down on Ariel's show just so that we all uh, come to his side. I, I think, I think, and I interpret it two ways. First off, Perhaps it will be his last fight, which would be a big shocker for me. But secondly, I also interpret that he is saying, I'm all in. Everything I've got, I've burned my boats. I am all in. He wants this trilogy. That's what I think. A thousand percent. He's not going to let his legacy uh, get ruined here. Um, and, you know, one thing that does scare me, though, Chael, when a fighter starts talking about retirement, just talking about it, there's something that happens. And, and for whatever reason, it's like a jinx. It's a curse. So the question now is, are American fans going to see the very last fight of DJ in his life? And has he jinxed himself by saying this could be his last and he's going to retire? I don't know. Whenever a fighter talks about retirement, I always think about, man, the killer instinct's gone or, man, they're jinxing themselves or they're giving a little bit of mental edge to their opponent, whatever it is. But it's not good to talk about retirement when you're facing a guy who flying knee KO'd you a couple fights ago. Yeah, and I see it the same way, right? I mean, there's something, there's so much to your approach. And if you start approaching something different than you did before, perhaps it's going to be a different performance than before. So when Demetrius said that, it did really stand out for me. Now, I want to ask you a question. You're an expert in martial arts, and you really love stand-up fighting. When you look at a guy like Rotang, where would he compare to, say, some of our Western strikers? Let me throw out, like, a De La Hoya, a Floyd Mayweather. I mean, under what rule set? I mean, you know, De La Hoya and, and, and Floyd, uh, you know, are obviously boxers and, and, and it's a very restricted rule set. Obviously, if it was a pure striking, you know, anything goes, obviously Rotang would, would annihilate both of them uh, because he has elbows, he has knees, he has kicks, he has head kicks, he has leg kicks, everything. Um, but he is an elite, elite, world-class, world championship striker. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. If you go anywhere across Asia and say Rotang, um, actually, now even in America, Rotang, you know, it's it's like, 
It's like calling the Grim Reaper. You know, he's going to come to your house and take your soul. This is a, this is Rotang, and, and American fans are going to see a striking in a way they've never seen ever before. And, and and I don't care what people have seen in the states of what what exists in the striking circuit in the states. When they see Rotang, they're going to see a whole nother level. We're bringing the entire world to America and across all the different disciplines, the greatest martial arts on the planet. And Chantra, you know, when this when this final chapter is written, when everything is said and done, I believe that you will go down as the great savior to grappling. I believe grappling would be very entertaining. I grew up as a grappler. One thing about it is every time you see an event, you see some different rule set that's very hard to understand. When I heard that one was doing this, and that if it went the distance, what they're going to look for is who tried to finish the match more. I got it. It was simple. I understood it. I feel like the world's doing that, and I feel like your athletes are nonstop because of that clause. They're nonstop looking for action. When I look at the Rotolo brothers, when I look at Mikey, I haven't seen more action-packed matches, and I've followed all the Abu Dhabis. I've followed all the submission undergrounds. One championship is bringing out the best in these guys and giving them an opportunity. I just want to thank you for that, man. Hey, man, I'm a grappler too, Chill. You know, 16 years of jiu-jitsu. Uh, so I absolutely love love it. But the, here's the thing. You know, we have a 70% finish rate at one across all our different martial arts. And obviously this compares to 30 40% in, in, in the other two big global organizations. Um, why is it 70%? It's because of our incentive structure, but also because we sign finishers. When we sign an athlete, we don't sign a lay and pray guy. We sign people who come to finish. So whether it's Rotolo Brothers or Mikey Musumichi, you know, in, in the grappling division, whether it's Rook Tang in striking or Super Bon or Chingiz Alasov in the striking division, the very, very best of the, of the best KO strikers, or whether it's mixed martial arts like DJ. DJ does not come to lay and pray. He comes to finish opponents, whether he's going to, you know, suplex to flying armbar you or whether he's going to, you know, uh, uh, you know, do some fantastic, crazy, you know, DJ stuff. Um, same thing with Adriano comes with a flying knee. So that's the thing that makes us different, um, from any organization on the planet. And that's why I'm so excited for American fans to see, you're going to see action finish rates. you like, you've never seen before. And just people, it's going to be a barn burner of fight. Every single fight. Another fight. I want to tell you that you got to watch jail. Roberto Soldich versus Sebastian Catastam, two KO strikers. These guys bang, and they hit very, very hard. If you look at Roberto's finish rate, okay, I think he's a 90% KO rate, something like that. Crazy. Wow, and, and let me ask you about Sage Northcutt. He's coming back. It's been four years off. You, you know, He had the face, but he, he was a young guy. He was a young guy when he left. He's still a young guy. But how does his approach seem? How does his attitude seem? Have you got to see in a trainer? Where, where do you believe that Sage is at in his career? So I love Sage, always been a big fan of Sage. You know, it, it's, he had, a, you know, just tremendously bad luck uh, in, in uh, his first uh, fight in one, getting his, uh, you know, face fractured. Um, there was at one point where he retired. He actually called me and said, Chachra, I'm done. Um, but two years later, he's like, Chachra, I want back in. I'm ready to go. Um, and everything I've heard, you know, you know, in the training room, how he's been performing and sparring, um, it's the old Sage back plus 10, you know, a times 10. Um, he's faster, stronger, more experienced. He's more well-rounded now. Um, but I agree with you. When you go out, when you get knocked out as badly as Sage did, there's always going to be question marks. You know, when you come back in, fans are going to be asking, does he have what it takes? Does he have the killer instinct? Um, or is he going to be gun shy? Um, or maybe he's used, used this adverse adversity to literally become the very best version he's ever been. 
So there's a lot of questions, but I'm hoping for a big comeback story. Whether he wins or not against uh, Ahmed Mushtaba, um, it's, it's, a, it's a story for the ages. And, and, and I know Americans will be rooting for him. All right, Josh. April, or I apologize, May 5th, the event sold out in Colorado. First time one championship's coming to American soil for an event. The fans can watch it on Amazon Prime. Those are the details. Look, I have to go back if I've got you here, though. I, I would be irresponsible to not go back to the very first thing we talked about. You did say, whether it was a slip of tongue or not, that you think some news is coming out soon on Francis. Do you care to elaborate on that? I like Francis, you know. He's a good guy. Uh, but I, I genuinely don't know where where, where he's going to end up. Um, I can confirm that we are in discussions, but, you know, I, all I meant to say was, from my understanding, and I, I know that we're also at the very tail end of our process with him, he has a bunch of offers. Let's see what happens. Uh, we have to submit our final, we haven't submitted our final offer yet, um, so that's where, where we're at. We've been in discussions for the last few months, um, and we've given an offer, uh, a couple offers, I believe, and 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 we have not. And our, our final one, we are um, putting together. And if somebody like Francis was to come into the fold at one championship, would he move right into? And I know these are hypotheticals, but please, my final one: Would he move right into a championship fight? Yeah, possibly, possibly. I I think. Uh, well, first we have a unification bout between our interim world title holder and uh, um, our current title holder. You know. Anatoly is the, is twelve and zero, I believe, and an eighty percent finish rate, and uh, and Arjun is eleven and one. So these are two heavyweights who know how to bang, move very very fast, um, and uh, are, are complete. You know, great wrestlers, uh, great strikers. So you know, Francis, if, if Francis comes into into the one heavyweight division, he's gonna have his hands full. I mean, you have up and up and coming uh, superstars like uh, Bushesha, you know, the greatest grappler of all time. I think he's now 5-0 or 6-0 with all finishes, um, and he's hungry for the world title as well. We have a very, very stacked heavyweight division, and uh, if Francis does join, he's going he's gonna to have, his, he's gonna have his hands full no matter what. Yeah, he absolutely would. Anatoly actually did an interview and was speaking about Francis. He's welcome. He hopes that you sign him, and frankly, I do too. Chachri, I appreciate your time, man. Good luck with the event on May 5th. Thank you, Chael. Take care, buddy. I'm on fire over here, guys. I'm on fire. We just had... Chachari just came on. Now, to set this up for you, one championship is getting ready to touch down in America for a live event for the first time. Cinco de Mayo. Pretty easy to remember, right? So we're getting into it. I'm asking him about Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson shows up on Ariel's show two, two days ago and, and announces that this trilogy fight, which is the main event of the card that one is bringing... His trilogy fight against Marias might be his last. And that came out of nowhere. Now, many guys are doing that. Right? We, we get these trends in MMA where one guy does something and then everybody's uh, got to do it. Right? So John Jones mentions a few days ago that his next fight might be his last one. And all of a sudden you hear Demetrius say, so you, you're always trying to take things with a grain of salt. If somebody sees somebody else, right? It's monkey see, monkey do. You see somebody else do something, you think that's a good idea. You come over and copy it. But Demetrius isn't that guy. And in all fairness, neither is John Jones. I mean, if we wanted to be fair about it, I don't always like to be fair when it comes to John Jones. But if I was to be fair, I can't remember a time that John told us something that wasn't accurate. And I can't remember the last time Demetrius ever said something to get a headline. 
And if you bring down a guy like Demetrius Johnson, right? And I even told Chachra this. I said, look, I'll follow the golden rule of life, which is put myself in somebody else's shoes and think about how I would behave. But it's very difficult for anybody to put themselves in the shoes of somebody as wildly successful as Demetrius Johnson. I did not interpret the same way Ariel did. Ariel's interpretation was, okay, wow, the end could be near for Demetrius. And Chachari said, hey, listen, I think there's a bit of a jinx. When a guy starts talking about retirement, it's a problem. And historically, Chachari is completely correct. You go back, you read about guys talking about retirement, it does not go well. I had a different interpretation. I've known Demetrius a very long time. I have a different interpretation. I think what he was telling us is he's all in. I think he. I think this was a I burned my boats moment. This is it for me. Meaning if I don't beat this guy, I'm walking away. That's how I interpreted it. Now, do what you want with that. I got Chachari here. I say to him, I say, Chach, a lot of us come out, we guess every single day what's going to happen. But you're one of three actual decision makers in this sport. So where are we at with Francis? You want to know what he said? I think he slipped. Chachari said to me, he said, Chael, as you know, we're in talks with Francis. And he said, I predict you're going to hear some big news on Francis coming very soon. And I said, oh, really? I said, hold on. Did you mean to say that? And he re-answered it. And he said, well, I wasn't trying to hint that I've already done a deal with Francis. Chachari says, as a matter of fact, to be candid with you, where I'm at in the process is I have one final presentation to make to Francis. So by saying that, Chachari is letting us know, hey, I've been in talks with him. I, I, I've made him some offers. We didn't get it done. I actually have one left. I've negotiated, I've gone back and forth. I, I, I actually have my best offer and I still got a couple of days to get it together. Okay, okay, that's interesting. But I mean, you guys get this from my perspective, right? I just got the leader of an organization to say he thinks there's gonna be news coming soon. Now I've got the leader of the organization being a little bit more detailed, saying his best is still to come. I said, all right, look, if we're just being hypothetical, if a guy like Francis comes over to one championship, does he go right into a title fight? And Chachari said, likely. But then he laid out his own calendar. He's got an interim champion right now. He's got a heavyweight champion. These guys got a date coming sooner rather than later. And ultimately, I said, Chachari, Francis really wants to box. Is that something you would do within your cage? And if you guys are familiar with one championship, one thing that sets them apart greatly is they will hold and contest a number of rule sets all in the same evening. The Rutello brothers and Mikey, just by example, they're not even striking out there. On the other side of the coin, Rotang is only striking out there. On the other side of the coin, there was one time, uh, Demetrius versus Rotang, they got MMA one round, and the second round is striking, and the third round they're back to MMA. I mean, where you can have some real fun in there, which means you could go out there and box. They've got the money, and they got the balls, right? It takes a lot of that. You're making bets, at the, but they got the money, they got the balls to bring over the boxers. And I'm just sharing for you, it was, it was a very interesting conversation. 
Why'd Chachari say he thinks there's going to be some big news? Why'd he say that? Did he screw up? Was it just something amongst boys? This interview's a little early over here. Did he, did he mean to say that? Or has he got something? And I did think that it was interesting as he was talking about putting his best and final offer together and going to Francis. Because one thing that we've been told on Francis' side is that Francis is doing this. Now, I don't love that. I don't love that, but that that's a, you know, I, I, put, I put my nose in Francis' business enough. That's a personal choice. I believe in this space, you're always better to have somebody speak for you. Now, you got to pay that person. And if you have somebody speak for you, you're responsible for the stupid things that they say. Right? On the other side of it, you, you have a buffer. And if you have that buffer, it makes it very hard to upset somebody. And it makes it very hard to hurt somebody's feelings. In this sport, as soon as one side thinks, even if it's a misinterpretation, if they think you've pulled something crooked, it's hard to come back. It's hard to come back. If a promoter in this thinks you're being anything less than a partner, even though you're not, right? The whole time these fighters, all, all they want is them, so they don't care if you go to business. But there's still, there's still a, an ebb and a flow here. It's a problem. And if you have that buffer, you have that third person, it's different. Somebody to vet it for you. Somebody knows what other people are offering. Somebody that can even understand those contracts. I mean, some of those participation in those clauses get a little bit tough, particularly in a Francis situation where you're looking for something called a carve-out. I don't know if there's a fighter under contract that could come on my show right now and define what a carve-out is. It's a very simple definition. I just don't think that they know these contracts can get a little bit sophisticated. Francis is doing it himself. On the other hand of it, well, I want to sit back and judge it. That's kind of cool. I mean, if Francis pulls this whole thing off, oh, and by the way, does it all by himself? That'll be kind of cool. Can we give him that? And I don't know that there's anything within the one platform that I don't want to see Francis do. I mean, I just laid out for you guys what Raw Tang did with Demetrius when I told you one round MMA, one round striking. I would like to see Francis do that. We could find the opponent later. I told you about the Rotello brothers. I told you about Mikey, who Chechi does a little bit of it. Gary Tonin going over there just doing some straight up grappling. Rumor has it they've got a contract with Gordon to do that. You guys don't think of Francis as a pure grappler, right? You think, oh, God, i got to see Francis doing some striking. Well, what if he didn't? I mean, what if one night he just pops in there, he's going to go out there and do a 15-minute grappling contest? Do you see where this gets pretty interesting? There's not very many things that you wouldn't mind seeing Francis do in the world of combat. I mean, I'm, I'm just suggesting for you that th there's a number of things based on what Francis told us he needs to have that one already has an ability to box, an ability to do something else, an ability if an opportunity comes up to try something new, right? I mean, Francis is, Francis is, I don't know, he's at least 37 years old. Now. I mean, he's been claiming he's 36 for about five years now. I don't know how old Francis is, but I just share with you, you know, when you start to get to that, to, to, when you start to get to later years in your career, Everybody breaks down at a different rate. But once you start breaking down, you ever guys ever had a car? You ever had a car and you loved that car and you drove it? But when something went wrong with that car, then the second thing came. That car was great for you. It was great for you for 10 years, man. There was never a problem. You barely even had to change the oil. But when one thing happened, then another thing happened. 
and then another thing, and then another thing. And all of a sudden, within two months, you got five things happening, and it's in the shop. Ten years, it was great to you, now it's in the shop, right? Has that ever happened? But an athlete is a lot the same way. That athlete and that boy, boy, that thing will hold up. As soon as it starts going bad, it goes really bad. We got a guy that just did eight months on the sidelines with a bad wheel. And there's things you could tough out. There's things that you could push through, for sure. Not being able to move, particularly in the heavyweight division, right? That leg and that, it's, it's a really important thing. And I don't begrudge Francis. I think he's a tough son of a bitch for it. I'm complimenting Francis. Going out there, having a bad knee, going and finding a way to beat Surreal Gun anyway when you're down two rounds, I'm complimenting Francis. The other side of it is time is not on our side. And coming up with carve-outs just by example, one, an ability to box and an ability to make a movie and an ability to do MMA. At some point, what difference does it make? I mean, at some point when you're talking about, I got to be able to box and I got to be able to do MMA and I want to pursue a championship and I got to have pay-per-view points and I need to go over here. You don't have this many left in you, bro. Okay, if, if we take an average of what you've done in the last two years, we have one fight. So let's just take that average and let's just times it by three. Now we're going to put you at a plus 40, which doesn't happen very often. People aren't paying money to watch plus 40s fight. But let's just say we've now got you plus 40 and we got three matches in. That's just if we go off of what you've done. If we take a mean, an average of your last two years. I take an average of your last two years. I got you at 43 years old and I've had three matches with you. I mean, do you you see where at some point it really doesn't matter? At some point, we're just talking about talking. And there's a point in there for sure that you're a good businessman. And there's another point in there where you're unemployed. It's a very interesting spot. I don't know that anybody's financials have been more in front of us than one championship. Like, there's somebody out there that just loves to do a thing on one, and I think it's because they were so good at raising money. Like, they had so many hedge funds guys that were getting in this and believing in this project that it just made all of these waves. What I'm speaking to is I've got a guy in Chachery that can make this decision. He can say yes or no to everything that the Predator wants. And he's been working on it for a while, and he's not done. And he told us he's got his best and final. It's coming in a few days. And he slipped in there that he thinks a big announcement is coming soon. I wonder what that announcement could be. Demetrius Johnson, possibly the greatest fighter of all time, was on Ariel's show and he talked about John Jones going up to heavyweight. And Demetrius was very complimentary of John and he simply said that John could have done that at 205 pounds. Now, I think that we all agree that. I mean, I think that we all have always agreed to that. And it does make you look back was the John Jones experiment up to heavyweight, was that the worst decision in, in MMA history? Was it the worst career decision that you've seen somebody make? I mean, you, you've got a world champion 
who gives the belt back and waits three years, goes and prepares for three years to try to become world champion. He took three years of training to attempt to come back to gain what he had and handed back initially. I mean, conceptually, I think that that's tough. And you get the fine details and say it's a different weight class. Okay, fair enough, but it's not a better weight class. You went into the worst weight class, right? Like, the, the heavyweights suck. I, did John Jones prove that he is a better fighter than we already thought that he was, or did he just prove that the heavyweights suck? In all fairness, in all fairness, I went to heavyweight a number of times. I never had an easier time in the sport. When you look at top 10 lists, you don't see heavyweights. When you would have heavyweights that were absolute stars, the Muhammad Ali's, the Mike Tyson's, the, I mean, the absolute stars, when you had a pound-for-pound pound list, they still didn't make it, right? The biggest draw, and they're bringing in all that, they still didn't make it. And I even came from the sport of, of wrestling, as John Jones did. We got a guy named Alexander Karelin, the Russian great. But he didn't make anybody's pound-for-pound pound list. He was the most feared man in the entire sport. He was the most feared man in sport. He was the flag-bearer at the Olympic Games, multiple games. They have the flag-bearer, whoever they respect the most. And respect and fear, pretty similar definitions. I mean, I'm just sharing for you, this man was frightening. He was incredible. Alexander was absolutely incredible. My favorite athletes ever. He doesn't make a pound-for-pound pound list. He's a heavyweight. They suck. And I'm, I'm just sharing for you, like, what did we accomplish bumping John up? What did we get? Like, from a financial perspective, the Jones family bank account is a hell of a lot weaker than it would be had he just kept a normal schedule, which most guys fight three times a year. You get a prima donna. Prima donna fights twice a year, but that's still six fights. Six fights at the contract you were on versus one of what you think. I mean, do you understand? I don't want to get too much into his business. I, I just want to talk about Demetrius's point because I have the same belief in John. I think John could have beat everybody weighing in at 205 pounds. And I heard stories from the practice room from heavyweights themselves. I'll keep their names out of it, but the top guys in the world, I could really impress you with the names. Champions, world champions, heavyweights, that would tell you in private how hard the goes were with John, how dominant John was. I don't think that there was anybody, I never met the person, that thought John had to weigh X amount before he could go and beat heavyweights. We all thought that John could just show up and beat all the heavyweights. It's heavyweight. But this is a very real thing. And I, I do wonder, I think Demetrius meant it as a compliment to John. I know when I say it, I do. When I say he, he could show up, you know, he was, he was about 225. When John was on, was on steroids, he'd be about 228. Before he would start to get 225 to 228. When he got off of steroids, his weight was about 218 to 222. I share that with you because whether it was 218 to 222 or when he was juiced and he was training, you know, it was under 230. I never met a man that could beat him. I, I never saw a man that I would bet on or pick or predict or, or, or with good faith 
believe could beat John. It wouldn't have anything to do with a scale. It's a, it's a very interesting phenomenon. Because, I mean, that is one thing about John that is, is, is truly interesting. As great as he is and as skilled and talented as he is, he's measured. And he doesn't take huge risks. And he doesn't overly believe in himself. That could be a dangerous thing. To, to have a confidence and arrogance, to not be aware of the world around you, right? To, to believe in yourself to these abilities as opposed to being more measured, taking your time, preparing, studying, getting ready for this guy, no matter how good you are, taking all of them real seriously. That is something that John does. And I haven't heard him credited for it, but he should get credited for it. You want to know who else did that was St. Pierre. John Jones is as careful about picking his opponents or choosing or agreeing to opponents, when he's going to fight him, what weight class he's going to fight him, how he's going to prepare. He is as careful as George was. And George was not going to take any risk, and he didn't care who knew that. Don't call me on short notice. Don't call me on a weak notice. Don't call me to do a favor. I'm a professional. Here's how I do it. Your matches and your ideas are going to fit within how I do it. You're going to fit within my paradigm. I'm not coming to yours. And he was good enough to back it up. But everybody stood back. We said, all right, we'll do it George's way. If we can't beat him, we're going to have to join him. And I like that about John. I mean, I, I really got to tell you, I like the human side to John. I'm not sure it needs to be there. I'm not sure there's ever been a night since he got in this sport. What was he, 21 years old when he got in this sport? I'm not sure there's ever been a night where there was anybody under contract where he's coming in. I mean, he, he'd been drunk two days before. What, what did he tell Daniel Cormier? I was high on cocaine and I still kicked your ass. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time when there was somebody, regardless of weight class, that could have dealt with him. But he does. He does. He thought it needed to be 240. I wish he would elaborate on that sometime. Why 240? He must have seen someone. He must have felt someone. He must have studied heavyweights and seen that that was a great size. But remember that? Remember when John had to weigh 240? It's this really interesting thing. He got to like 242 and he took a picture on Instagram. It's a really interesting thing. What would you rather be? Would you guys rather be 242, soft and fat, or would you rather be in great shape and weigh 228? I'd take the great shape in 228, but I, I, I'm not a two-division world champion. It's one of those spots. I think that my opinion matters. I think that I'm right. I have the right to an opinion. I've earned it. Not as much as him. It's just the reality. I went and talked about somebody doing it. He went out and was the guy that actually did it. He thought he needed to weigh 242 pounds. I agree with Demetrius Johnson. I feel as though I can stand back and see the sport as clear as Demetrius. I think Demetrius is right. I think I'm right. I think that John Jones, taking three years, moving up to heavyweight, was a colossal waste. I think it was a waste of three years. I think if you would have told John Jones, who's a national wrestling champion, you can take on a kickboxer who's never had a wrestling match in his life. You don't need to wait three years. We'll let you have him today. By the way, he's got a beautiful record of 16-0. and 0. He's not half bad looking. He cuts an all right promo. He's got a funny video going around where he imitates Nate Diaz. I mean, this guy can draw a little bit. We had a belt around him. Don't ask us how, but we had a belt around his waist somehow, somewhere in recent time. You can fight that guy. I feel as though John might have still taken the three years. 
He's very measured. And when you get when you get ready to tell the John Jones story, when the whole thing is done, there is some compliments that you have to give him. And you can say a lot of things about John, but he he is not foolishly confident. He's not. He's not foolishly arrogant. He's very measured at certain things. And when you do look back, three years. Greatest talent we've seen, three years. That should be nine fights. He's a prima donna, but it was a solid six. $30 million gone. Because somewhere in his head, he thought his fat ass needed to weigh 242 pounds to take a kickboxer down. How do you tell him he's wrong? How do you tell him he's wrong? He took the three years, he got matched up with the right guy in a sold-out arena and put on the most one-sided beating in heavyweight title fight history. It's very difficult to question. Curtis Blades and Pavlovich, look, there, there's a lot going on here, and you're going to have to go find it on your own, right? You're just not going to get it from these guys. I don't want to give them a hard time about that. I, I feel as though I don't understand the Curtis Blades thing. I, I just don't. Curtis Blades is representative of everything that I've ever heard somebody's looking for in MMA to be a fan of. He's tall. He's skilled. He's hungry. He's young. He's awesome. He's a top guy. He's a future prospect. He's all these different things where you'd want to jump on the bandwagon. And I just don't see it happening. And I've, I've even asked you guys a number of times over the course of a couple of years, what is it that Curtis did? He did something that collectively pissed you guys off and I, or turned you off. I just want to know what it is. I haven't seen it. I just haven't seen it. Curtis Blades, from an X's and O's standpoint, is the hardest fight for John Jones. I don't know that there's a heavyweight out there that would disagree with that statement. I don't know that John Jones would disagree with that statement. That's attractive. That right there is a very attractive thing if you're looking for number one contenders. Now let's look at Sergi. Sergi Pavlich, 18-1, and 20-1, it's something crazy. He's a knockout artist. Knocked out the last four guys and was all in the first round. I'm getting you close here, right? Don't think you have to correct me. I'm just talking about this is an up-and-comer. This is the Russian. I mean, that story is never not going to work. The Russian versus the American, right? You, you can thank Sylvester Stallone and Rocky for that, but that story is always going to work. And we know that Pavlich can fight for a world championship. That is not questioned and cannot be questioned. We know that because he weighed in to fight for a world championship and nobody res resisted. That was the time. That was the time right there. If you don't agree that Pavlich could have gone into a main event world title fight, that was your time to speak up and nobody did. And I do mean nobody. Not even the haters and the naysayers said that he should not be a guy that can step in to take on Surreal or to take on John on a day's notice. So, so now that we know that he can do that, what is he missing? Why is he not doing it? Well, he's not as popular as Stipe. I mean, it, it starts to get real interesting, right? You got a guy, you know I love Stipe. You know I love Stipe. But to tell the story, I've got, I've got to tell it this way, right? You got a guy that you woke up 
In his last fight, you woke him up and you carried him out of there. You didn't even interview him. You woke him up. That's the guy. That's the guy. 40 years plus and removed from the sport for, is it two years now? That's the guy. When you have the option, right? And you're talking about it could be his last fight ever. When you have the option to bring in a young Russian with a much more impressive record. And what have you done for me lately? Well, I slept four guys inside of five minutes. That's what I've done for you lately. I pulled out a training camp unprepared and weighed in to take on the guys you're telling the world are the best. That's what I've done for you lately. And I'm getting ready to put a beating on the hardest matchup you have for John Jones, and I'm going to do it on the worldwide leader of ESPN. That's what I've done for you lately. God damn, that is a good argument. That's a good argument. How do you get around that? How do you have Sergey Pavlich stop Curtis Blades on ESPN, making it five for five inside of five, you weighed him in and told the world he was good enough to do it. Now he's got another victory, and you're going to tell the world that he's not the guy to do it. The guy that we woke up, who sat for two years, that's the guy that's going to do it. It ain't going to happen, just so you understand. That is not the way this story is going to go. And I'm, I'm bringing this to you because I don't know what's going on with that fight. But I know guys that negotiate themselves out of a job. I know guys that think that they're safe and they think they're secure and they have a very hard time learning. And recent history tells us we will work around them. We had a beautiful guy with a beautiful record, a beautiful championship called the world title named Francis Ngannou that for whatever reason did not want to show up in Houston, Texas and take on Derek Lewis and we carved him right out and we had an interim championship. We did our best to never bring him back and Surreal Gone was one point from two of three judges away from erasing that from the history books. In all fairness, that's what we attempted to do and we had no problem with it. Didn't lose a bit of sleep. December of last year, we tried to put Jones and Stipe together. We don't know which one of them was a pain in the ass, but we know it was one of them. We didn't get the fight. We moved to March. We don't know which one of them was a pain in the ass, but we know it was one of them because we didn't do the fight. And now in some make-believe land, the match that we wanted, which is Jones versus Stipe, the headline International Fight Week has apparently been moved to the Garden in November. My ass. No effing way that's true. Not with Sergey versus Blades coming up on Saturday. No way. Whatever the problem is that has kept the firemen and the cokehead from finding each other, whatever, he <laughs> said, I mean, that was unnecessary, right? We're having a perfectly nice time over here. Like, that was just unnecessary roughness by me. Oh, I'm just a genius, but you can't get this anywhere. So you got the firemen and the cokehead, and whatever has kept them apart for an entire year and three events is just magically going to come together. Why? Why come together?
What story are you going to tell? Hey, we got these two old dogs and they're going to go fight. I mean, these guys are so old. As a matter of fact, I think it's going to be their last fight. Uh, I guess. I guess that's a story that you could tell if you were desperate and had no other stories to tell. Nowhere in promotion history have we gone with that one. But yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, but drag them out there and put, I don't, I don't, what's the point? Or go with the guy who just starred five or five inside of five. Look at that. Look at that. That's right off the top of my head. Five for five inside of five. You can't get that. Sergey Pavlich's fat ass won't put anything interesting out, but I just did it for him. He got five for five inside of five. You put him in a backup position, which means you signified to the world he's good enough to do it, and now he's got another victory. Oh, and by the way, he's willing. There's nobody that's going to waste their time trying to get a fight together for Madison Square Garden that they've already failed at three times. They're going to go with Pavlich if he wins on Saturday. So if you don't want that to be true, or you think that for the first time ever, Chael's going to be wrong, which in my illustrious career, I've got a big old goose egg in that category. I have never been wrong. If you don't want Sergey Pavlich to come in and steal the fight from you once he goes five for five inside of five, sign the contract. Get it done before bell time. That's my advice to you. President of Barstool Sports sends out a tweet this morning and all capital letters, Dave types off to jail immediately. And then underneath it, it's a retweet. Underneath it is the clip that he's referring to. I watched the clip. It's two kids in a wrestling singlet. Don't see a lot of that. Don't see the president of Barstool Sports talking about wrestling all that often. I click on it. Two eighth graders having a wrestling match in a style called freestyle. Now, what you're used to seeing in your high schools is called collegiate style. What's contested in the Olympic Games is known as freestyle and Greco-Roman. The guy, But I, I bring this up because the guys that do freestyle and Greco-Roman is much smaller. It's a much smaller group than your collegiate guys. It's not done at the schools. It's done through club programs. It's because you want to do it. You truly care about the sport. If you don't truly care about the sport and want to do well, and want to go on and go to college, and you've got dreams like this, you're not doing freestyle and Greco-Roman. That's a broad stroke, but I'm, I'm going to share that with you, because I would jump to the conclusion that it's not somebody who's brand new, whose dad or uncle got him into wrestling and brought him out to this event. I would suspect it's somebody that's done this. It's an eighth grader getting ready to go right next year would be his debut in high school, and so on and so forth. Some of that I'm guessing, but I've disclosed that for you. Okay, they do the wrestling match. They stand up. They walk to the middle, and this kid punches the other kid. Now, as you're aware, it is symbolic, traditional, and within the rules of wrestling that you culminate the match with the shaking of hands. The dispute is settled here. You shake hands. You walk away. It is never to be discussed again. There is to be no animosity. It is not to carry over. We shake hands. We walk away. It's a big deal. It's possibly the greatest part of all of wrestling is to teach a young person that. That you can go to battle, but when it ends, it ends, and we part ways. Okay. They go in to shake hands. Boom, this young man hits the other guy. Now, there was a lot to it. And most of you have no idea how hard you can hit. You would assume in your head that you're devastating. If you punch somebody, you'd hurt them really bad, but you don't know. 
you not only haven't tested that on an opponent, you haven't hit so much as a heavy bag. It's all in your head. Your power and your ability to connect and the damage that you can do is in your mind. Very few people, well less than one-tenth of the population, will actually test that theory. This young man tested that theory. My goodness, he hit hard. He hit him really, really hard. His range, his power, his timing, all the way down to the setup. Now, that, that, that part that gets very ugly because the setup was him fainting a handshake. He fainted a handshake, which does make your opponent bring his hand down as well to greet you, brought his hand up and hit him. I mean, that's a really bad part. And he did it in what appeared to be a very cold way. I mean, he stood up, he walked to the mill, he wasn't huffing and puffing, he wasn't telegraphing, he was very deliberate once he made contact, he did not appear to be apologetic. I understand that a lot of those is me making assumptions, but I'm telling you what I saw when I watched this video, because the question, of course, becomes, what do you do now? And so many people, and for so many years, for many, many decades, if it happened on a court or on a field, it was part of the sport. Whatever is going to happen to that person is whatever the referee or umpire decides happens to that person. Somewhere along the way, there was a timeout in a hockey game. And another guy used his stick and hit an opposing player in the head. And it was not just about what the referees did. Because it was in downtime and an infraction of the right. If the game was live, it arguably would have been a different call and it would have been up to the referee. But because the whistle had been blown and they were on downtime, they then decided that it deferred to the courts. The police were involved and able to do what they want, unlike if this was live. Like we've seen fights, we've seen fights in hockey games. It's the number one thing that sells tickets for hockey, which is wildly boring to watch. They encourage these types of things and then pretend that they don't. I mean, not for nothing, but that's true. And a number of years ago, a guy used his stick, hit him, and the police got involved. The other guy went down, he hit his head. It's a, it's a terrible story from there. I digress, but I'll take you over to MMA. It was Paul Daly, Josh Koscheck. Bell had rung, fight was over, Paul Daly came over, he hit Josh Koscheck, and Dana spoke about it and said that's illegal. Fortunately, it's going to be settled here, Koscheck isn't pressing charge, this will go no further, I'm going to solve this, I'm cutting Daly and he will never ever be back, that's going to be his punishment. But Dana, as he was speaking about this, said if the authorities wanted to come in and handcuff him, they have the legal right to do that illustrating that the sporting event had come to an end. And I only bring that to you because that didn't that wasn't the way it used to be. You used to be able to clear the benches and go do damage. You used to be able to have these brawls and we would just chalk it up to, oh, boys will be boys. Horseplay, we used to chalk it up to that. It finally got tested. And now here we are in a situation where it was after time. You have, you have in a wrestling match what's called good time and what's called bad time. This was after now, you have two minors here. I don't suggest for you that there's going to be handcuffs involved. And I've seen a number of people throw punches in a wrestling match and or after a wrestling match angry. I've been on both sides of that personally. This was a unique punch. This kid turns out to hit really hard. That's just a reality. Crumbling and the other kid going down and staying there and whatever effects and psychological. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. It's a little bit of a different scenario. This wasn't one where he hit him. The other kid turns and goes, hey, what are you doing? And the coaches get involved. And you pull them apart. And it wasn't like that. So should it be treated different? 
shouldn't be treated different just because this kid is a hard hitter. And what do you do when so many people, I mean, even Dave Porter is saying off to jail, so many people are saying that he will have a lifetime ban in wrestling, but is that the way that you want to handle it? Tough situation. I'm not sharing an opinion with you. This is a big deal. I'm, I'm not undermining it. It's a big deal. But it's also why wrestling exists. When you have these, these young people with this type of energy, the last thing that you want to do is let them be roaming around town. The best thing that you can do to a young man is stick him in a room, teach him a skill, and send him home tired. I don't know that taking him out of this sport is the right thing. And I don't know what they're going to do. I know wrestling faster than anybody will cave to whatever pressure is put on it. If there is a push to ban this kid from wrestling and take his federation card away, believe me, wrestling is the kind of sport that will cower instead of sticking up and saying, whoa, this is a troublemaker and the hardest thing that I can do is wrestling practice. There used to be judges within Multnomah County and Oregon, you can look this up, that would sentence people to wrestling practice. It was at Peninsula Park under Roy Pittman. They would sentence them. They would give them a choice. They used to do this with war, with the military. You're going to go to jail or you can enroll. And this was during Vietnam and people would enlist and they'd go off to war instead of going to jail. We had a judge that did that with wrestling practice. Instead of putting the kid in jail, he sentenced him. Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5.30, you're going to report to Peninsula Wrestling. You're going to do what Roy Pittman says. I'm just suggesting for you, I'm not sure if you have a troublemaker that taking him out of the world's hardest sport is your answer. But I will assure you, the world's hardest sport is ran by wimps that will cower quickly. It's the first time that they've got a little bit of attention. And believe me, instead of knowing how to use that, I just got off of TMZ. I just got done doing TMZ. Dave Portnoy, for the first time in his life, the president of Barstool has discussed wrestling. Instead of wrestling, knowing how to use that, getting good vibes from it and turn into something positive trust me if the quickest way out is to cower and ban that kid for life it's what they'll do but is it the right thing to do because it sure seems like the easy way out to me all right guys that's it for today's episode thank you for listening and for leaving reviews on apple podcasts like this one that we got from e what a change of heart i've had with chael i listen to every podcast well thank you e lots of fights this weekend i hope you enjoy them and i hope you come back for more next tuesday and tell that i'm chael sudden and you are welcome